Wow. God is so good. He is so great. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we worship and adore you for you are all that we need. This morning has been full of giving you glory. Of pointing to you. So Jesus, I pray that these words may be like arrows that point to Jesus. Open up our hearts and open up our minds to be able to capture the greatness of your might and your power and your desire to draw close to us, your children, your loved ones. All this for your glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Good morning. I am so excited to be sharing the word of the Lord with you. And first of all, thank you so much for all of your prayers for those of us who went to Bolivia. It was just one of the most, it was one of the most amazing experiences that I have ever had. And if you find anyone that went on the trip or if you find me out there in the hallway, please, please stop us. We would love to share a little bit of what God did. And I want to share with you one of my favorite moments. So please check out this video on the screen. Diana, and when we, we brought out these rocket balloons, has anyone ever played with a rocket balloon before? It is insane. You blow it up, and you don't tie it, but you let it go, and it makes this ridiculous sound, and for these kids, it was the most amazing thing that they'd ever seen, and Diana took this balloon. She must have had it refilled like a hundred times. Our, I mean, we got a good workout by like pumping those balloons, and every single time, even though she was doing it again and again and again and again, the way that she would just look up was just this absolute wonder and absolute joy as if it was the first time every single time. And she was my buddy for that day and I wasn't even mad about it. I was like, let's go fill this balloon. And every time I would look at her and see her wonder up at the sky, I would just stop and be like, Jesus, renew my wonder. I want to be able to hear the story of the gospel and to see what God is doing in his church and to hear all of these names of Jehovah that we have been studying and to be able to look up at the sky and say, wow, as if I were hearing it for the first time. And that is what Jesus is calling us to church. So I pray that as we jump into this message this morning, that we can all become like (laughs) five-year-olds and renew the wonder of Jesus because he is alive and he is real and he is here. To grasp the fullness with wonder of Jehovah Ra, our shepherd, to grasp with wonder Jehovah Shalom, our peace. To grasp with wonder Jehovah Tzedidnu, our righteousness. 
to grasp with absolute wonder Jehovah Rapha, our healer, to grasp with wonder Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And then today, we are going to look at one of my personal favorites, father of the fatherless and defender of the weak, Jehovah Sabaoth, God of angel armies or Lord of hosts. So the New International Version of the Bible, really it replaces Lord of hosts, God of angel armies with Lord Almighty. But it occurs around 270 times, a little bit more, throughout the Old Testament. God of angel armies, God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts is fighting for Israel. But it doesn't appear until 1 Samuel, and it is the most frequent kind of compound title of God in the Old Testament, especially in the books of the prophets, where they are speaking about the mighty God who would come and fight for Israel and keep his promises to her. It is a Hebrew military term that describes a group of fighting men, the host of heaven picturing as God, as the commander of the multitude of angels. It describes the innumerable stars in the sky. Host comes from a Hebrew military word meaning to wage war. It is a name that emphasizes power and might. So, pre-warning, <laughs> this message is a little bit of a shift from the other ones that we've been hearing. And, you know, shepherd and peace and righteousness and healer and provider. This is who God is and amen and hallelujah for that. But if I'm going to be honest, I think for me, I like to get comfy in that zone. And I, I feel very safe with that God who is my comfort and with that God who is my peace and with that God who's my provider. And in reality, the Lord is calling us out of our comfort zone and many times into the unknown and the unknown is kind of scary. In Amistad, we received a Bible study from Douglas, from Douglas, <laughs> one, of the, one of the staff members from the Amistad Villa, and they give a Bible study to all of the mamas and the tias, and we were able to join that Bible study. And the whole study was about how God is calling us out of our comfort zone, and how it is so easy to be complacent and to just put God in a box and say, cool, you're gonna stay here, and I'm gonna stay here, and, and this is the agreement, awesome. And God is saying, but wait, because you're so scared of going out, you're missing out on so much that I have for you. The unknown is scary, but Yahweh has all that we need, all of the attributes necessary for us to follow him into the unknown and into these moments. He's fierce, he's unstoppable, he's warrior, he is commander, he is the Lion of Judah. Jehovah Sabaoth is his name, the God of angel armies. So join me as we read Isaiah 6, one through eight to see Isaiah's response to his first encounter with Jehovah Sabaoth. 
It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah had a terrifyingly glorious vision of God. He saw the heavens open up and heavenly creatures praising the Lord, holy, 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 three times holy. John Calvin commented on this passage and he said, I have no doubt that the angels here were praising one God in three persons, worshiping the Trinity. Can you imagine what that would have been like. It reminds me of the song I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance before you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will, will I be able to speak it all? What would your response be to seeing the fullness of God? Isaiah's is probably more accurate. I am doomed. <laughs> I am doomed. Kind of like that visual demonstration that we did a couple of sermons ago with the Lord who has all of his wrath ready to be given out because we are deserving of wrath. But then Jesus steps in the middle and he takes it all. This is what is being described here about what's about to happen what is going to happen when Jesus comes. Before Isaiah's lips were purified, he was not ready to stand in the presence of God. He was totally unqualified. And his diagnosis of himself, I am doomed, was the right one. But because the angel purified him, which is what Jesus came to do to us, he went from woe is me to hearing the call and saying, here I am, send me, here I am. And this is the remedy of grace. And what's really interesting is that by all outward appearance, Isaiah was a righteous and godly man. He followed the law and he followed God and he loved God and God used him as a mouthpiece for his people. But when he had this revelation of the fullness of the glory and the presence and the wonder of Jehovah Sabaoth, he started to realize that his reality was very far apart from what he was seeing. 
And that led him to confession. When we have these moments of confession every Sunday, it's not to whip ourselves and say we are awful. Kind of like what, what the kids say today. I've seen it all over TikTok. Like, would you still love me if I'm a worm? <laughs> it's, not to, it's not to chastise ourselves. It's to remind our hearts that we don't belong in the presence of God, but because of him. Because of him. Because he made a way. We can stand. And that leads our hearts. And that is where the journey begins. This is where, when we say, send me, when we say, here I am, send me, this is where the journey begins. And we begin to cling to all of the attributes of God, to the fact that he is our shepherd and he's going to lead us, to the fact that he is our healer in every step of the way, to the fact that he is provider, and to the fact that he is Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies. And that one particularly fills me with confidence because sometimes I don't know what to do. I'm not very much of a strategist. And when I see turbulence and when I see things kind of in front of me, I tend to freak out. <laughs> and it's of much comfort to me to know that I have a commander of the armies who does not fear who is not thwarted by any inconvenience, ma major or minor, that he is steady and constant and that he has full vision and full capacity to win and to conquer. So who is the Lord of hosts? Amos 4.13 says, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind declares to man what are his thoughts. He who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts, Sabaoth, is his name. So who is the Lord of hosts? He is creator. He is sovereign. He is redeemer. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is everything. Isaiah 44, 6 says, Thus says Jehovah, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, Sabaoth, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no other God besides me. And if we jump to Revelation 22, 13, Jesus says this of himself. Jesus says, I am the first I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. So these two passages, one from Isaiah and one from Revelation, perfectly parallel each other. So Jesus is Jehovah Sabaoth. Jesus is the commander of heaven's armies. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. And Jehovah Sabaoth is the name that we find through scripture when a man or a woman has gotten to the end of their rope, where there is no other option, where there is nowhere to go. And Jehovah Sabaoth is the strong tower to which they call upon. And Jehovah Sabaoth is the one that we go to when everything fails and we are powerless and our resources are inadequate and where there is no other help. Jehovah Sabaoth speaks of God's available power in our time of troubles. So some examples from the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, Hannah was barren, and she would come to the house of the Lord, and she would pray, and she would pray, and she would pray for God to give her a baby. 
And she cried out to the Lord of hosts, to Jehovah Sabaoth, and after a face-to-face encounter with him, her whole face changed and she was radiant. In 1 Samuel 17, David faces Goliath, an immovable force with absolutely no hope or chance of victory. All of Israel was cowering away, and little tiny David from the field was like, why are we scared of this guy? Israel, do you not remember who we serve? So he stood up and he said, I'll do it. Here I am. Send me. So Saul was like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but here, take my armor. Here's my sword. Here's my shield. And I can imagine like little David putting on this giant armor that was not his. And he knew that. He knew that this wasn't fitting well and that if he were to go out with this armor that wasn't his, he wasn't going to be able to do what God was calling him to do because he knew that God had already given him what he needed to do the assignment for which he was called to do. So he went out with what he knew, with his sling and his stone, and he said to Goliath, who was mocking him, I come to you in the name of of the Lord of hosts. Victory. In Joshua 5, Joshua meets the commander of the Lord of hosts. This is one of my favorites. Throughout all of the passages in scripture that talk about Jehovah Sabaoth, it's sometimes a vision or it's sometimes a declaration of what God is going to do, but Joshua meets him And this happens in Joshua 5, right before he is going to take on Jericho. And this is what theological studies call a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of the Messiah. And he comes to him with a sword in hand, and he tells Joshua, this is what you're going to do. You're going to cross. You are into the promised land, and you're going to take these lands. And I know Jericho looks scary, and it's a fortified city, but this is what you're going to do. And step by step, He tells him. And this is where we are now. Except we have the full revelation of Jesus. He is leading us into a promised land, into the promised land, and journeying through all the Jerichos that we need to take down. And essentially, to new creation, eternal life, is our pilgrimage. And only you know what your Jericho is, and And he indeed is the Lord of the multitudes and of the hosts and of the stars. But he's also here to tell you, I want to be the Lord of your heart, a personal friendship and relationship with you. So in this passage in Joshua 5, the angel of the Lord comes with a sword. And because of the revelation of Jesus, Jesus now gives us a sword. So, for a visual demonstration, <laughs> you guys know I like my props. This is what I use for the kids. This is how they stay in line at youth group. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding, totally kidding. <laughs> so, this sword was given to me by my mom. On the day that I was ordained as a pastor, my dad gave me a shepherd's staff. And he said, daughter, 
as a shepherd, as a pastor, you are now going to be a shepherd and you are going to lead and you got to do it with grace and you got to do it with humility and you got to do it with with joy, but there's going to be some times where you're going to have to use it to yank a little, some little sheep's back into the pen. And it's beautiful, but it's hard. But don't trust the staff. Trust the one who's holding the staff and who's leading you, which is Jesus. And then my mom gave me the sword. She said, daughter, life is hard. And ministry is hard, and being a woman in ministry is hard. But you are not alone, and you are not fighting alone, because you are now enrolling into a fight and into an army where the commander has never lost a battle, and he is not about to start now. So take this sword and fight and follow Jesus obediently wherever he may go, knowing that he is the one who wields the sword in front of you, and you just have to follow behind. So I, I love this sword, and it's in my office, and every time I, I look at it, I'm reminded of the fact that we are not called to a comfortable Christianity, that in fact we are called into battle with Jehovah Sabaoth. Psalm 118 says that the Lord prepares our hands for battle and that he is with us. And this is particularly important to me because for a very long time I questioned my identity with God. I didn't think that I was apt to be daughter because of the things that I had gone through in my life. People were telling me, you're never going to be able to preach. You're never going to be able to sing. You're not going to be able to even do anything. Your job, Audrey, is going to, sit, to be to sit in a pew for the rest of your life because God can't use you. And it took a really long time for me to, to start to decode that as a lie of the enemy. And when I started to, to receive counseling and when I started to understand that that was not God's voice, I felt the Lord say to me, you are daughter, and you're not just a daughter, you are a warrior. And you are not alone. This sword, I mean, I'm feisty, <laughs> if you haven't noticed. I'm feisty. And it could be very easy for me to just kind of whip out the sword and be like, oh, you don't agree with me? Come over here, let's go. But this sword doesn't represent violence. This sword represents truth. Ephesians talks about how the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. It, it represents his promises. It represents what he says. It represents the very breath that he breathes for us to have confidence to follow him and trust wherever he goes. And I carry this sword and I put it in my office to remind me that his promises are yes and amen and that they are true. To remind me that when the voice of the enemy wants to speak lies to discourage or to derail, that he is steadfast and never changing. That when I don't know which way to go, he's already in front of me, paving a way where there is no way because he already did it. 
When Jesus died on the cross and when he resurrected, that was the climax of the redemptive story. The war has been won. And we might ask ourselves, well, if the war has been won, then why do we need to keep fighting? If the war has been won, then what's up with the armor of God and why do we need to stand up and fight? What is this? Listen to these words from Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So this war isn't between, it's not even against us. It is a war between good and evil, Satan versus God. And because we are God's loved ones, we are caught in the crossfire. And God is the only one powerful enough to save, deliver, and conquer, which he already did. But the enemy is relentless in his pursuit to pull as many people away from God as he can before he knows when his time is up. As we sang through a mighty fortress is our God, the enemy knows his end. He knows he is doomed. He knows that when Jesus comes again as Revelation describes on a white horse and with a flaming sword, that his time is up. But in the meantime, we have to be aware that we are in a spiritual war and we need to be prepared. God wants to equip his church to be prepared and it's not to be scared, it's to be prepared and to follow him wherever he leads. And also, there's the two extremes. So we can't go around trying to find the devil under every rock either. But God is calling us to a place of trust and obedience in him. Jehovah Sabaoth, the God of angel armies, the one who has never lost a battle, is standing before you today, church, just as the commander of the armies of the Lord stood in front of Joshua with the sword. And he is asking you, what is your response? Is it here I am, send me? Or is it, who thanks but no thanks? The choice is yours. Will you pick up the sword and follow Jehovah Sabaoth to his plans and his purposes and into the promised land? Will you pick up your sword and fight for your marriages? Will you pick up the sword and fight for your families, for your kids? For your friends and loved ones who don't know the Lord, will you pick up the sword and fight for your community to know Jesus? Will you pick up your sword and stand in the gap and fight so that God will do his plans and purposes for New Providence Presbyterian Church? Whom shall I send? Will New Providence Presbyterian Church say, here I am, send me? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are here to give you glory and to give you honor because you are Jehovah Sabaoth, you are invincible, you are powerful, you are good, and you are kind.
Move our hearts to transformation and to follow you wherever you may lead. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.